What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Today's show is one of my favorite episodes yet. We are so excited to have DDS Dobson-Smith on the program. If you don't know DDS, it's a good thing you're here. They're a licensed therapist, author, executive coach, speaker, and Reiki master. DDS is also the founder and CEO of Soul Trained, an executive coaching and leadership growth consultancy. They're also the author of the new book, You Can Be Yourself Here, Your Pocket Guide to Creating Inclusive Workplaces Using the Psychology of Belonging. We talk about DEI as we know it and as it needs to evolve. We talk about building organizational cultures based on the psychology of belonging. This is a good one. So buckle up, DC beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with DDS Dobson Smith on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Well, welcome, everybody. It's great to see you all. Lori can't be with us today. She is speaking on a panel with a bunch of lawyers down in Denver. I think Chuck might be there, too. So we'll have to get her uh, her debrief of her afternoon with the legal profession when she gets back next week. But it's Wednesday. It's your favorite day and mine. It's Corporate Bartender Day. It is the 13th of April, and we are at episode 127. Today, we we have a guest today. You'll see a strange person up at the top left of your of your little window for Zoom. You'll see DDS Dobson Smith. He is the author of You Can Be Yourself Here, Your Pocket Guide to Creating Inclusive Workplaces by Using the Psychology of Belonging. So he's here today. We're going to talk about that, sort of building on our, our on our conversation from last week where we talked about DEIB and nomenclature and how, how things have changed uh, over the years and the generational differences that we're all experiencing. So before jumping into anything, I'm leaving news up to you guys today. Anything that has popped across your radar that you've noticed over the last week that you think we would benefit from learning about? I posted a few things over on the network and, uh, there's been some other activity. Hillary put some stuff over there as well. Anything on anybody's radar before we jump into our conversation with DDS? Not about that, but I, I, I'm not sure that what he's talking about here might might be accurate, Eric, because Laurel, before you joined, I, I was quite colorful in my story from the week and my language. So that would probably get me it can't how about that (laughs) not terminated but let's just continue on with the language well you know that that all depends on where you work if you work with laurel i think that's pretty well accepted and and you heard dds said he thinks he thinks we're his people so that's good right (laughs) (laughs) yep i had a manager last week say i just want a place where i can come to work and say fuck (laughs) yes yes That is the correct answer, at least for me anyway. I know that I know that Mark's always paying attention. And sometimes we have guests 
um, who, who carry themselves in a slightly different manner. And I try to be on my best behavior. And Mark's always a little disappointed if I don't drop at least one before the end of the show. So, well, come to find out the background for that story is that he has, I knew his wife had just delivered a child oh. uh, um, about a month ago, six weeks ago. They have a two-year-old. Oh, Yeah. So now he has to stop using that word at home because the two-year-old, of course, has now learned the word. I I did see, speaking of replacing, I did see a meme the other day that had a, like a picture of an office scene and it said, (laughs) how to succeed at work. Replace fuck you with, okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Bless Uh, her heart. Bless her heart. Awesome. Well, as always, if you guys come across things that you think we would all benefit from, please drop them in over on the network. That would be fantastic. And with that, we're going to get right on into our conversation today. Today, we have a guest, DDS Dobson Smith. He is a licensed therapist, author, executive coach, speaker, and Reiki master. Right. So we have questions about Reiki. I was wondering, can you do that over Zoom is, or does that require physical proximity? I do not know the answer to that, but stay tuned, folks, because we'll get that here today. He is the author of this book here. You can be yourself here. The Pocket Guide to Creating Inclusive Workplaces by Using the Psychology of Belonging. So with that, let's welcome with a good TCB welcome, DDS Dobson Smith. All right, DDS, you ready? Now you have a sense for what you're getting into here. I am hyped. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome and thanks for thanks for being here today. You know, we always ask folks that are new to the show. We ask a question. We ask them to tell us who they are, where they are, what they do, and one boring thing about themselves. So who, where, what, and one boring thing. And then I'll ask you a deeper question about your story. But that's where we start. Well, I'm DDS. I am in Fairfield County in Connecticut uh, in a town called Newtown. Um, And uh, I am the CEO and founder of an executive coaching and leadership growth consultancy called Soul Trained. Which is a fantastic name, and I want to do. I want to do a dance to it. I think that's a great thing. Soul trained, awesome. What's one boring thing about you, DDS? Um, I generally don't wear anything other than black. Right, but you had to change for this show, didn't you? You don't tell anyone that. That's ruined the mystique. <laughs> it's it's proving your humanity. <laughs> I was wearing a white t-shirt earlier and I was like, oh shit, am I going to be on video? I better go and put black on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, tell us your story. Cause I imagine, well, a, I don't hear a Fairfield, Connecticut uh, accent. Um, and I don't imagine that when you were your much younger self, you didn't dream to be <laughs> what you are today. Tell us your journey. How did you get here to be the author of this book to be the ceo of this consulting firm how did that happen oh my goodness me um well i know we don't have a full at like hour for me to go through the whole story <laughs> so I'll, I'll try and do a nutshell um 
I guess it, it it's probably important to say like right at the very beginning when I when I was doing my undergrad um, in the UK it was in hospitality management and I was um, doing doing my degree with um, uh, there was a mature student called Angela Toon who was running a department in a hospitality college uh, in another in another city and she said to me you'd be a great teacher and I went okay. Um, and, um, and she gave me a job, um, teaching, um, hospitality management. And, um, I remember one of the first groups that I was teaching was a, to a group of mature students and, um, it was a public house operations class. And I remember very distinctly a day that I was handing back an assignment to one of the students a gentleman called Howard, who was born in the same year and on the same day as 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 my mother, and um, and he had owned his pub longer than I had been alive, and I remember handing him back his his assignment, having graded it a C, and I just saw the look in his eyes, like who the hell is this kid grading me a C? <laughs> I was like, yeah, Howard, you're absolutely right. And, and I decided at that point to go out into corporate world, get some experience under my belt and go back to teaching. And so I looked around for uh, a career that was as closely related to adult learning as I could think and joined a graduate development program with the British retailer Marks and Spencer. And so that then started a 25 year long career um, in HR. And so for, for 25 years, I've been in learning and development, org psych, org development roles um, in global and um, national organizations up to board and C-suite level. Um, and that's pretty much where I ended up with Soul Trained. Um, three years ago, I decided to set up Soul Trained because I had been a purchaser of uh, mm -hmm. executive coaching services and leadership development programs uh, for many years and thought about, well, I thought I could do it differently and mm. I thought I could do it better. Um, and um, and that's where Soul Train um, uh, came from. I love it. I love it. Your story is great. And uh, these are your people, right? These yeah. are people that have spent yeah. their careers. Yeah. yeah. In HR and leadership development, that's 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 what we do. That's who we are. Mark referred to us in the chat as a small but crazy group. Um, and that's true. And we've all had those thoughts too, right? We thought, man, we are the consumers of these services, right? I bet some of us have said, I bet we can do that a little differently, right? We do it with a little bit of, of a hook, a little bit of an angle. What compelled you to write this book. I mean, it's a timely topic and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hot right now for, for everybody, especially as we deal with the complexities of hybrid work and reasons why people may or may not want to return to the old ways. What got you here to write that book? Two things. Um, first of all, my own lived experience of being um, a member of the LGBTQ community in a heteronormative world um, and having been repeatedly told throughout my career, could you tone it down, please? Which is obviously wow. coded, stop being so gay. Right. And it wasn't until I was in a C-suite position um, when a fellow C-suite member said to me before we headed into a meeting, it was like, you know, DDS, could you just be a little bit less? And I looked them in the eye <laughs> and I was like, a little bit less what? Because I was just like, I was 
pissed <laughs> and I was like actually I, you know I've got some responsibility here and, and they went you know just be a little bit less gay and I and I looked at this person and I said could you be a little bit less straight right and and they said to me I, d- I don't know what you mean I said well yeah I- exactly exactly and I, and I thought to myself if it's taken me 25 years to pluck up the courage to be able to say that to, and to be able to have a retort or a rebuttal or a, you know, a pushback on the microaggression, then I can, and just think about all of the other people, all of the women, all yeah. of the, the black, brown, First Nations people, all of the disabled people, all of the fat-bodied people who have, who have been on the receiving end of those sorts of behaviors. And I just thought, fuck this, I'm gonna, I, I wanna do something about it. Then the other thing, I just said, fuck, I'm sorry. Um, then you the you other, can yeah. say fuck as much as you want. It's okay, all good. Fuck yeah. There's Ruby. <laughs> Ruby's here. So the, and then the, the, other, the other thing was um, I'm an adjunct professor at, um, uh, so I went back into academia eventually, and, and I'm an adjunct professor teaching master's students how to be psychotherapists. Um, and um, and as I, as I, as I trained um, in getting my own master's in counseling psychology, this book started life as a paper, an academic mm. paper, um, uh, that was really taking my lived experience, thinking about my career in HR and creating workplaces where people could be themselves and ended up with this paper. And of course, an academic paper does not make good reading. So um, I, ha- I, you know, I turned it, I turned it into a book. Um, and that's where we got to where we got to. I love it. I love the way that you tee up diversity, inclusion and belonging, you have kind of a unique way to uh-huh. describe them, and, and they're different in how they feel. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I really want to give credit to um, the, the, the colleague who really helped me develop this equation. And that colleague is a, a female of color um, called Cal Peter. So thank you, Cal Peter. Um, and we were in a conversation one day and um, it, w- where we got to was this idea that diversity is a fact. Um, inclusion is a behavior and, um, and belonging is an experience. So diversity plus inclusion equals behavior uh, equals belonging and so it's a diversity is a fact right because when you look around is your organization diverse or not it's yes or no right right you can observe it it either is or it isn't right and and when i look around do i see people who are like me yes and do i see people who are not like me yes chances are there's some diversity and representation in the organization Inclusion is a behavior. And by behavior, I I not only mean the way in which we interact with each other, but I mean organizational behavior in the form of policies, procedures, platforms, products, the way in which we show up in the world as an organization, as a team, as an individual. And, and, And belonging is a somatic, affective, psychological experience that we that we have when when we feel like we are you know in a place where there is diversity and and where we where we're included now the thing is you can't have belonging without inclusion and you can't have inclusion without diversity but you can have diversity without inclusion 
right? Mm-hmm. And so, it, mm-hmm. so it's, a, it's an equation that only works one way, um, doesn't always work both ways. Interesting. No, I think I think that I think that's fa- that's fascinating. Um, you also said that diversity and inclusion. We use those terms together all the time. We do. But you said they're more they're more like cousins than they are siblings. What do you What did you mean by that? Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just seemed like something that seemed. A bit, I mean, I I think I think you know when when I hear when I hear us HR folk speak about it, or when I hear executives speak about it, I, I, about this topic, DEIB has been reduced to an acronym. Right. And, and, and when it is reduced to an acronym, we miss the complexity Mm -hmm. um, and we, and we avoid being able to actually do the stuff that needs to be done in order to create the experience of belonging, because we saw oh, it's DEIB. Is there's a head of DEIB, right? There's DEIB targets. I'm like, what the fuck does all of that mean? Anyway? <laughs> right? Like, so, so when we start to 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 decompose it and 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 separate out that diversity is a thing on its own, right? Um, and inclusion is a thing on its own, and belonging is a thing on its own, and and that we have to. Um, we have to treat them as individual um, uh, topics that require mm-hmm. their own attention, but that 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 are also related, right? And and I guess probably the reason why I said cousins is because you know when you've got when you've got siblings, there's always one that's favorite, and there's always one <laughs> that's like left out. And so when there's cousins, it's like there's I don't know there's there's more equality I think from a cousin perspective than there tends to be in sibling arrangements. It's fair point. That's a fair point. Um, <laughs> you know, thinking about just that fact behavior experience sort of flow. Mm-hmm. You know, inclusion being a behavior, right? There's a whole lot of, of research and buzz around uh, psychological safety and the yes. Amy Edmondson work. Um, you know, <laughs> how do we as HR people, how do we go about building cultures that are psychologically safe? I mean, you think about it from a, from a policy perspective or a practices perspective, what can we do to influence a culture of belonging? Well, I, yeah, I mean, the first thing that I want, I always like to remind people, um, you know, when there's no such thing as a safe space. Um, And um, so I like to think about intentionally brave spaces instead. And the reason why I say there's no such thing as a a safe space is because usually when somebody claims a, a space to be safe, they're coming from a place of power and privilege, right? Like, so if, if I'm in a room and a, and a straight person says, this is a safe space, DDS, you can speak. I'm like, you have no clue what it is like to be me. And you can't claim this to be, just claiming right. a space to be safe doesn't make it safe for me. But what we can do is invite each other into intentionally brave spaces where we can have these conversations. But an important ingredient to it, um, or a prerequisite for, if you if you will, for an intentionally brave space is the quality of psychological safety, which I believe um, is the quality that we experience or the state that we experience when it is not expensive to be ourselves. Mm, expensive, that's an interesting choice right? of word. So when it's not expensive for us to be able to show up 
how we are, who we are to the fullest extent, then we're likely to experience that psychological safety. When we experience psychological safety in the workplace, you get to say things like, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I made a mistake, I don't know. We also get people, you also get the courage to be able to say, I have an idea, or I think we can do this differently, mm-hmm. or I'd like to make this better. But without psychological safety, you don't get any of that. You don't get yeah. any of that. You get people retreating, you get people covering, um, and you get people staying in their corner, the corner that the you know that society and the yeah. patriarchy or whatever has have, have, have placed us in. So just like, just like we can have a head of DEIB and we can have initiatives, we can claim spaces to be safe and we can say that we embrace a culture of psychological safety. How do we know if we're doing it or not? How do we know that we're not just saying it and that the lived experience of the people in the organization, because it's so psychologically unsafe, nobody's saying anything about it. You have right. to watch for the eye rolls. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would first of all be very careful about who is saying we we have a culture of. Just be very careful about who's saying that because is that person representative of the people in that culture, um, and and therefore is what they're saying. Can it can it be experienced as a real lived experience by the people that it's being said about? Now, how do you how do you know if you have a cycle uh, uh, um, an environment in which people feel experience psychological safety? Well, you're probably hearing things like "I'm sorry," "I don't know," "I made a mistake," "I have an idea," "I'd like to do things differently." If you hear that. You, the chances are people are experiencing that idea of or that experience of psychological safety. I mean, there's there's other ways, right? I, I wonder I wonder how many organisations out there in their employee opinion surveys measure how safe do you feel here? Mm. And and That's then a great course, question, right? Like, how, how safe do you feel here? Do you feel like you belong? I mean, those are two real. Like, if you if you if you just like. I, I've seen employee opinion surveys in my time. I've managed employee opinion <laughs> surveys in my time that have got like 120 questions and themes and there's retro analysis and the whole thing. I'm just like, really, you could just ask two questions. How safe do you feel here? And to what extent do you feel like you belong? And 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 that will give you enough to let you know how well you're performing from a people perspective. Because very recently I talked about I, I wrote an article about the great resignation, which I reframed as the great realization. Oh, I um, love it. And and I and I I you know, I I think over the last couple of years, we've asked ourselves some very deep existential questions. And, and one of those questions is, am, am I doing what I want to do? And if the answer has been no, so many people have gone, okay, well, I'm I'm, you know, I'm gonna go and start my own business. I'm gonna become a Reiki master and an author. And also <laughs> Or some, or some people have said yes, and when they've said yes, they ask themselves the question, and am I doing it where I want to do it? Do I feel safe here? Do I belong here? Does my work bring me meaning and purpose? And if the answer is no, they've voted with their feet. So this isn't, and I, I don't think there's less talent in the market. I think there's just more discerning talent in the market, and they're asking different questions of their employers 
and the employers that are going to win out in this in this great resignation, great realization, some are people calling it the great regret now as well. But in this <laughs> period of time, the employers that are going to win out are the ones that are going to provide environments uh, where people feel like they belong and, and work where that drives meaning and purpose. Simple as that. Wow. So you guys heard it here. There's your new employee survey. Two questions. <laughs> Easy peasy. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. DDS, we talked about this last week. Just, you know, it, you look around, look around this room and there, there's a lot of uh, white folks of a certain age here yes. in this room. Yeah. And how do we, <laughs> as white Gen X people, um, how do we mostly, yes, Mark, I'm including you in the Gen Xers today. <laughs> um, how do we become aware, right, of all the social conditioning that we've grown up with? And, and, and how do we help to dismantle those internalized biases, right? Because we all have them. How do we how do we make sure that we're we're keyed into that? And, and what steps can we take to to deprogram that? I mean, first of all, accept that you have been subject to social conditioning at the hands of, you know, a, a system that promotes and favors anyone who is white, straight, cisgender, male, uh, non-disabled, thin. Um, so first of all, start there, that I have been impacted by this system, that I can't not have been impacted by everything that we see in the media, in the news, in adverts, in pop culture, the whole thing. I can't not have been affected by that. Yeah. So in what ways have I been affected by that? That's where you start. And then, and then it's a process of self-education, um, self right? Self-awareness, um, self self-acceptance. So self-awareness precedes self-acceptance and self-acceptance precedes self-development. And... Um, and, you know, there's some really, really easy things that you can do. Check your social feeds. Look at Instagram. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> are, you, are you following people who are like you? Yeah. And change it. Yeah. Start following people that are going to rattle your cage, that are going to show, that, that are going to show you a different, a, a different perspective on life. Mm -hmm. Um. That's that's the first that's the first thing it's and it's just it's a really simple thing but you know when you're doom scrolling I don't know you sat on the toilet and you're just <laughs> picking through or it's the last thing you do before you go to bed or if you you know now we're starting to commute again if you're on the train or on a plane like that's when you're flicking through and these you know you're repro you can reprogram yourself in a in a beautiful way check who you hang out with who who's feeding your your own internal newsfeed um and then i would say read watch and listen there are in the back of the book i provide so many different resources of ted talks and books and articles and instagram accounts that you can follow to do to do your own self education and and remember Please, please, please remember that it is it is not the job of somebody who has an identity from a, from an historically excluded group to tell you mm. what's up. 
right? Like don't, don't act that the emotional labor that they've been doing their entire lives is heavy enough. Please don't yeah. ask them to do any more. <laughs> That's why we've got Google, right? Yeah. Like if you, if you've got a question and then it's not, it, it is not our right uh, um, to walk up to anybody else and ask them deep and personal questions if they haven't been invited. Right. But there's, there's Google. It's just really, really simple. It's, it's, it's like people wanting to touch pregnant women's bellies. They think they can do that too. Yeah. 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 I mean, just, you know, comments about hair for, for black people, comments about tone of skin, like I, just all of those things. It's just like. Not cool. <laughs> it's not cool. <laughs> And if if you put it in any other context, most of those people would think that's not cool, but it's, it's because it's what's interesting to me is I think some of those folks actually think they're, they're helping. They think they're doing the right, right. thing by, right. Right. by reaching out and wanting to, to learn and, but to totally to your point, right? I mean, that's, that's not the venue for that sort of right. thing. Right. You, you know, yeah. it's interesting, you know, talk about, you talk about the people that you surround yourself with. And we talked a little bit about this last week. You know, a lot of us have kids and I have theater kids, <laughs> right? So theater kids for me, they're just, they're the best people on earth because they see people as human beings first, full stop. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting to me, the ease with which that perspective comes to them. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so just hearing them talk and hearing them interact with each other and talking to their friends. And I mean, that that is a has been an education in, a, in and of itself for, for me. Um, so the people that you surround yourself with, I mean, sometimes we get lucky because we produce them. So they have no choice but to hang out with us. Um, but what are the what are some other ways that you can think of that? I mean, adding to your social feeds is one thing, but it's different for me to read about something than to hear, you know, my kids and their friends talking about a topic in yeah. real time. Right. I mean, are, are there things that we could do to put ourselves in places where we could be party to those conversations or hear those conversations or I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's, again, there's, there's, there's stuff out there. Um, you know, there's, there, there's a great, there's a great video series. Um, I'm, I can't remember the title of it, but it's uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Oh, um, like there's, there's just, there's, there's stuff out there. Like you can just, there's, there's a really, there's, there's just tons and tons of stuff on YouTube that you can, that you can go and consume. There are podcasts that you can consume. I think, um, uh, you know, I, 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 there was, there was a, a thought that sparked in me, Eric, as you were talking about how, you know, kids will see humans first. You know, I, I think it's really also, it's, it's also really, really important for us as adults to avoid at all costs the, the phrase of, well, I don't see color. I see everyone mm. as a human. I don't see queerness. I, every, we should all just get along. And the sentiment of that is absolutely true, but the impact of that is erasure, right? Yeah. When I say I don't see color, then it stops us from having the uncomfortable conversations we need to have about righting the wrongs that have been done to people of color, not only in this country, but, but all over. 
Um, and, and I think the other thing, you know, about the, the conversations, Eric, we've got to be prepared to get it wrong. Yeah. Right. We've got to, because the, as, as, as we start to get into these, these topics and we accept and we allow in to our own system, our own nervous system that we have been impacted by, um, and we have been conditioned by a system that promotes and favors white, straight, cisgender, etc. Then we can start, then we can experience all kinds of shame and guilt. <laughs> and, and that shame and that guilt can, 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 can cause very strange reactions like, well, I can't say right for doing wrong. Oh my God, I, it, everything's too political correct. And all of that sort of stuff. And it stops the conversation from happening. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, if you are, if you are around somebody that comes from a historic, historically excluded group and the, the, the scene has been set that you're going to have some conversations uh, that are going to have some courageous conversations, then just be prepared to make a mistake. Be prepared yeah. to be wrong um, and be curious and, and compassionate with yourself and other people. And when you do get it wrong and the other person says, hey, Eric, I'm not sure if you know, but that word that you used is harmful because mm-hmm. as the person, as the perpetrator in that situation, the only acceptable response is, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I right. didn't know. I, 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 and, I, and now I do. And I take accountability for the impact that that had on you. And then you move on. You don't cry. You don't fall <laughs> on a sword. You don't die. You don't learn none of that stuff because no one needs the histrionics around this, right? It's, it's dramatic enough as it is. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure I've, I've, I think I've done the, the typical thing. I've answered the question that I wanted to answer rather than question. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all good. No, it's, it's fantastic answer. I want to draw attention to a couple of comments in the chat. So Ruby, you said you were late because you were diving into some of the resources in the back of the book. Ruby was prepping to help me co-host today and then showed up 16 minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I literally, I, I looked through your book. So DDS, I love your work. Um, oh. And it's something that I'm aware of in the work that we do. And, and we're facing it and we're trying to navigate it and be good leaders and good stewards of, of the roles that we're in. And, and I got to the resources and I started looking at something. And I started listening to the um, Nice White Parents podcast. Oh, right, yes. So yeah. I, I got through the first episode and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> But just, just being exposed to that, um, it was a totally different thing that I had never thought about. So it really connects to what you said around awareness and what does that mean? And what are other perspectives that I have never even considered? Yes. And there was something even in your book, you were talking about even restrooms and having um, uh, feminine hygiene products available in both genders. Right. And I'm like... Right. Never, never would have occurred to me. So right. I just I love all the things that are in this book and, and the, the conversations that are sparked. And um, so thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. And Ruby, may, may I offer a slight correction on something? Yes. Yes, please do. You said both genders and, and oh. actually it, it would it would be more inclusive to say all genders because all genders. Yeah, you know, we know now we know today or at least 
all of the experts on sexuality and gender will say that that there that gender is a spectrum, right? Thank you, DDS, for bringing that to my attention. Welcome. <laughs> that is the only acceptable answer, Ruby. Well done. Well done. Well, and I love that you said DDS to the the sort of shame and guilt that can like flare up when we we say things incorrectly. So I love that you call that out too. And like, this is all we got to do. Yeah. 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 I mean, that that takes guts. Mm-hmm. Right? Takes courage. It does. Yeah. You know, Ruby, you, you dropped courage and vulnerability into the chat a little bit a little while ago. It takes both of those things. Mm-hmm. Mark, you dropped a video in, in the chat. What 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 is this video and why should we go watch it? That was just looking up quickly, having an un, the uncomfortable conversation with a black male. So I saw that there was a podcast. So I've just figured I threw that out real quick for everyone. I love right. it. Right. I love it. Thank you. So DDS, I want to ask one more question before I turn it over to the crew here. Um, you know, you've spent a lot of time dealing with and thinking about the psychology of belonging. So yeah. what are your key takeaways for, for HR people, for people of your tribe? What are your key takeaways for us? Uh, you know, your golden nuggets, your pearls of wisdom here. Goodness me, Eric, what kind of questions that? The big one. It's a big, heavy question. Oh, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I, your question has just sparked in me, you know, you know, in workplaces around the world, you get those posters that is just like of an eagle flying that says, yes. You can do it. And, you know, all of those shitty, like, just motivational like, posters. Oh, my God. I want to do it. But there's this other one. There's a, there's a particular meme that, 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 that floats around, and it's on greetings cards that says, you know, be kind because everyone's fighting their own battle in some way. And um, I, think, I, think that's, I think that's so true. And, and that's why I advocate a little bit for in, in the book for trauma-informed workplaces, um, because we all, um, I mean, being human, while it's not a fallen condition, it is a traumatic experience. Um, and um, True story. And, and, you know, trauma doesn't happen because we are in danger. Trauma happens because we think we're in danger. And, um, and, and so, we all have whoever we are, um, no matter where we're from, um, no matter what body we were born into, we have all experienced some degree of trauma that will get triggered and activated or, um, or in some way brought to the fore in the world of work. Um, uh, it, for many reasons, you can read about it in the book, um, and, and I guess what I'm what I'm really advocating for is is recognizing that that um, there are there are harmed people everywhere, um, and and I also believe that everyone as as a human being is doing the very best they can with the resources they have available to them, and and by resources I mean mental and emotional resources, and those resources are going to be impacted by. Um, by the the trauma we've experienced um, throughout our life, and so I, it's just I'm, I just advocate for this idea of kindness um, and openness and receptivity um, and humanity. Yeah, 
Yeah. As a, as a depression kid, I, I can empathize here. You know, there's a, another meme that has various flavors of it, but it's, you know, the, the crux of it is, you know, be kind to people because everybody's got a story and you have no idea. Right. Right. What's going on. Right. What they're struggling with, what they've suffered through. Right. I mean, everybody has a history and everybody has a story. So I love this idea of leading with kindness. I think that's a great place to, uh, to turn it over to the crew. What questions do you have for DDS about psychological safety, belonging, just all of these topics that we've talked about today? What's on your mind? I'll go if I can. Yeah, go ahead, Lori. Um, and just so you know, DDS, I, I'm a flight attendant, but I'm also um, a coach, a life coach. Oh, and cool. I work in a very dynamic workplace, which is always changing. Yeah. I mean, each team, each trip is always different and new. And we do have a very diverse workforce, which has just been, um, for me, I, I think I'm blessed because it's so amazing to get to meet so many wonderful people of <laughs> every type, every possible type. Yeah. Um, but there was an article, I, I can't remember if I was listening to a podcast or or at Reddit yesterday, and they were talking about kind of keeping in line with that great resignation piece, but also just about um, some of the the millennials. You know, I my kids are, and you know, you can lump them all together if you want. That's that's not accurate, obviously, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of twenty somethingers, thirty somethingers who have said, "Well, if I can't have this, 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 and this at my workplace, I'm not working." And, and of course I'm sitting here thinking, going, when I got out, when I got out of grad school, I needed a job. I not working was not an option. Um, but a, it's kind of a, an arrogant attitude, if you will, I think, and I have seen it in action. Um, I I've seen job hoppers and I've got friends who have kids that, you know, they're trying to create that independence, but at the same point in time, it's like, you're not going to find the perfect workplace the first time you try. You know what I'm saying? I, I look back at my journey over the last 30 some odd years. And it's like, I learned from the worst boss in the world, some of the mm-hmm. best lessons I could have ever imagined mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some of the worst people I encountered. So you build on all of that. Now, where I am today is I would have never imagined when I was 25, you know, and for that reason, I'm open to possibilities and I want to give people a chance and I want to give the workplace a chance or to, you know, just allow organizations. You may not find that perfect fit day one and feel completely safe or feel um, yeah. brave or feel that you can be yourself 100 percent because you haven't built a relationship yet with the people there. And one of one of my mantras has always been I used to teach. Um, college students. And um, one of my mantras was always, yes, be nice to everyone, because you don't know. (laughs) Those circles become very small. We all know that. And seek to understand before being understood. And always ask, like you're saying, you you hit the nail on the head with everybody has a story and everybody has um, their backgrounds. And, you know, people look at me and I was the first one to go to college in, in my family. But I lived in foster care at one time and people go, Ooh, you're white privilege. And it's like, 
let me tell you my story. <laughs> and then you tell me if that's really what it is. So, you know, seeking to understand, just asking people as coaches, those open-ended questions and trying to find out um, where people are coming from and what baggage they're, they're lugging along there too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I've, I, I'm not saying that you did this, Laurie, but I, I, I I'm, I'm, I've never been one to throw existential rocks at other generations um, <laughs> because I, I, I know that when, as a Gen Xer, when I got into the workplace, I demanded something different than yeah. my previous generation. And I think that's what brings about change. And so I'm like, I, I don't, I don't, I, I just never have and never will use the word entitled that gets used a lot um, in reference to to millennial the millennial generation people from that generation i think they they are impacted by um the way in which they're parented the values and the zeitgeist of the time and their and their, and they are have their own social conditioning and therefore have their own needs and wants and expectations and 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 i and cool great because that is going to keep us moving forward and it's going to it's going to agitate and it's going to rock the boat mm -hmm. and, and 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 great and i also i also really feel um that you know yeah i i can sit here now as 48 year old dds and i can look at back at the shitty managers that i've had and the shitty workplaces that i've been in and i go wow they fortified me wow, I am who I am today because of where I've come from, not in spite of. But back at that time, I was like, I hate me. I hate <laughs> my job. I hate my life. I hate everything. Everything. Work sucks. But with the benefit of hindsight and the fact that I, and a lot of therapy, I've been able to sit here today and go, I love who I am. Today. Yes, today. 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 Right. And, and th there's there's no amount of anyone when I was 25, no one would tell me, DDS, it's going to be fine. You're going to be great. You're going to be a number one <laughs> best-selling author. Everything's going to be cool. I I'd be like, I'm doomed to fail. This is horrible, everything. And, like, and I don't want, you know, there's the whole, okay, boomer, um, you know, situation. And when I was a 25-year-old, and if a, if a boomer, um, tried to tell me or, you know, an older person tried to put me on the straight and narrow or tell me how it is. I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I don't, I don't know why we would expect anybody else to be any different. <laughs> you don't know. Don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I come, I, I, I guess, you know, it, it's, I think it's, um, it, it's always easier to go to somebody else's bus stop mm. than it is to have them come to yours. And so uh, that's what I want to do. I want to drive my bus stop to where you are standing and, mm. and, and, and invite you onto my bus. You don't have to get on it if you don't want to, but I'm going to, I'm still going to drive to you. I'm not going to ask you to walk to my bus stop. I want to get on that bus because I bet it's fun as fuck on that bus. That's all it I know. Is, it's is all tons of fun, Eric, I can tell you. <laughs> hey, come get on my Airbus. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey. 
There it is. <laughs> All right, guys. I have. <laughs> Any other questions before we wrap it up? Get on to our funny things, good feels, and cocktail, and go to dinner. There's one other thing I just wanted to call out that I saw in your book. Yes, it it was a quote that you said. Um, it doesn't make sense to hire brilliant people and tell them how to be. Mm-hmm. And that oh. just was like. Yeah, that was a that was a take mm-hmm. from I think it was Steve Jobs that said yeah. don't hire great people and tell them what to do. Because mm-hmm. of course you are going to get told what to do because it's work and it's called it's, compensa- it's called compensation mm-hmm. for a reason, right? You have to do mm-hmm. things you don't want to do. Um and um, but yeah, like that's it, right? Like mm-hmm. all of us on this call, everybody listening will have been told at some point in their lives, mm-hmm. be less than you are being, be different than you are being. And that is so damaging to the human spirit. Mm-hmm. And when the human, and I've got goosebumps when I think about it, when the human spirit is, 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 can grow and can be whole and complete, when we can be, when you can be your USU, everything in life, including yourself, is gorgeous. Everything just works better. Everything, you sleep better, you perform better, you interact in better ways. Um, So, uh, yeah, telling people how to be is... eh. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we can top that. That is a great place to call it a day. Uh, DDS, how do our folks get a hold of you if they want to go deeper, hire you, buy your book? How do they find you? Yeah, so thank you. DDS at soultrain.com. You can text me at 646-270-6113. You can look at my website, soultrain.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn. I love it. Well, big thanks to you for being here today. Thank you so much. Hopefully, you're as hyped now as you were at the beginning and you didn't get freaked out. <laughs> it's been oh, lovely. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for 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 going a little bit deeper on a topic that we've been we've been touching on for a long time now. So, I appreciate appreciate you, appreciate your perspective and like I said, I think you I think you wrapped it up there at the end in a way that was a pretty big deal. So, This is how we end the show, DDS. You're welcome to hang out. It takes about five minutes to get through. We do funny things. We do a good feel story to restore our faith in humanity. And then we do a goofy cocktail based on some crazy news story. So funny things. Funny thing number one today. Hitman. Who am I killing? Dog. Ever hear of a guy named Pavlov? Hitman. Rings a bell. (laughs) Dog. That's right. Ruby, you're gonna have to come off mute so I can hear you laugh because Lori's not here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) funny thing number two: uh, security at the airport getting a little bit more straightforward. Apparently, this is a screen on the American Airlines check-in kiosk. Are you a terrorist? Yes or no? Uh, this one made me laugh. Uh, celebrating a year since my bike got stolen and the wee boy put it on Facebook Marketplace that evening and I stole it back the next day. <laughs> From the creative file, who took my exacto knife? 
it was me. <laughs> uh, that one's funny. <laughs> <laughs> this one, this one. I mean, come on. Insane choice of a name. Plant Parenthood. There it is. It's a plant store. <laughs> and my favorite funny thing, this is for HR people, because the labor shortage hit in every sector. Confession today, Saturday, will be until exactly 5.30 p.m. There is only one priest available for confession today. Make your confession direct and to the point and confess only your sins and offenses. No need to explain why you did it. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that was for you, Ruby. Yeah, Holy Week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, today's Good Feel story is about a blind drag racer. Here we go. Steve Hartman this morning has the story of a man driven by a most singular vision. You're welcome to listen in, but I chose this week's story mainly for an audience of one. This 12-year-old named Ted. Yes. Ted is my nephew. Very hard. And he says sometimes his blindness feels insurmountable. I see. I thought like I was doomed. <laughs> that, that, that does sound a little immature, but... A woe is me kind of feeling? Yes. I really want to be like everybody else sometimes, you know? And that's why. When I heard about this drag racer attempting to set a new world speed record, I thought Ted and others like him had to meet the driver. In 2012, Dan Parker of Columbus, Georgia, got in a crash. He suffered a traumatic brain injury so severe, it blinded him. I never imagined I'd be back in the seat of a race car. But I've been a racer my whole life. I just had to figure out another way to do it. A machinist by trade, Dan got adaptive equipment so he could make parts. And then designed this entire race car. Everything in this car? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. That just amazes me. What does he look like? Mustache and a beard. I don't have a mustache. You have a mustache? See? Whiskers? <laughs> I hope nobody sees them. Oh, don't worry about it. That won't be an issue. Anyway, back to our story. <laughs> Last week, Dan and his crew came here to Spaceport America in southern New Mexico to attempt a Guinness record. Fastest car driven blindfolded. Of course, no blindfold was needed. But he did have a special audio guidance system and, for safety purposes, a sighted driver next to him, hands hovering over the steering wheel just in case. It wasn't necessary. Dan went 211 miles an hour, set a record, and more importantly, an example. Ted, I want you to know that blindness is not really stopping you. Surround yourself with believers and go for your dreams. You can make the excuses or make it happen. Dan says inspiring the Ted's of the world is the main reason he did this. And if my nephew is any indication, it was well worth the drive. If you can do that, well, then I think I could easily pursue my dream. Wait, wait what about flying plane? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to come from this. <laughs> You can make excuses or you can make it happen. So good. All right. Today's semi-quarantine cocktail. Big old cake. It's a riff on the birthday cake <laughs> martini. You're going to need two ounces of whipped vodka, 22 provincial fried cake festivals. Yes. That's an Argentinian thing. 
a little bit of amaretto, 2,645 pounds of flour, a little bit of white chocolate liqueur, 3,527 pounds of melted fat, (laughs) two ounces of half and half that yield you a 16 foot cake that required a crane, honey and sprinkles for garnish. Here's a photo of this cake being lifted by the crane. There it is. That's a 16 foot cake. (laughs) And with that, I am hungry and you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks to DDS, Dobson Smith. We will see you guys next week. We've got more fun in store. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.